Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. Uh, if we have not met, my name's Dave. I haven't preached in about a month, so we're about to find out if I still know how to do this or not. Uh, but we are really glad you're here. Thank you for joining us for worship at the Vista. Um, we are starting a new series this morning throughout the summer called A Shared Gospel. Um, if you're new to the Vista, what you'll learn uh, about us is that um, there's a lot of different styles and a lot of different types of preaching and teaching, a lot of different ways to teach God's Word. So some places you go, some churches are very specific about the way that you're to teach and preach, the way sermons are to look. So you might go to places that are like, man, you, you should be preaching always through books of the Bible. That's the only way you're preaching through books of the Bible, right? Or, or you'll go somewhere and pretty much all they do is topical you know, uh, they'll say, like, we need to really hit relevant topics, and so we're going we're gonna to do topical studies that, that hit really specific things. Uh, some follow the church calendar. There's, like, kind of the, the big church calendar, um, and they'll have lectionary readings and things like that. Um, sometimes there's character studies where they'll take a look at different characters in the Bible and learn from those specific characters. And so what we like to do at the Vista is all of the above, right? We like to have a kind of a, a diversity in our teaching. And so sometimes when you come, we'll be walking through a book of the Bible, right? Like we're going to do that this fall. We're going to be walking through a book of the Bible together. Um, Austin just finished a really great series. It was more of a topical series called Good News for Anxious Christians. If you missed that series, I'm telling you, it is worth you logging on to the website and, and listening again. It was really well done and um, it just really helps us kind of overcome some of the, the inaccuracies and some of the myths that we are prone to believe that make us unnecessarily anxious, right? So we do some topical things. Um, sometimes we follow the church calendar, specifically around holidays. Um, we'll follow the, the, the readings and the text. And, and then other times, uh, I really love to do character studies where we uh, kind of take a look at specific characters in the Bible and, and what they have to teach us. And so this summer, that is essentially what we're going to do. Um, we're going to be doing some character studies, taking a look at some very specific figures in the Bible, and then what we can learn from those figures. Now, it'll be a little different than the ones we've done in the past. Normally, when we do character studies, uh, we all tend to be captivated by the big names and the big stories of Scripture, right? And rightly so. I mean, there's some amazing stories in the Bible, and we tend to be captivated by certain characters, and there's a lot we can learn from their lives. But one thing I, I've realized is that behind almost every big name or big story in the Bible is usually some less prominent figures that make their story and their ministry possible, right? Behind all the big names that really grab our attention, there's usually a lot of other characters that we almost just sort of gloss over in the reading that make those stories possible. Why? Because what God has called us to do is not an individual endeavor, the gospel, the ministry of the gospel is very much a shared endeavor. That's why we are the church together, right? And that's the way it works in the church. Like, there are uh, some parts of our team that are much more prominent. You're going to see me and Austin and Jordan, this morning Jake, uh, on the stage, preaching, teaching, leading worship. But again, to be very clear, we cannot be the church that we believe God wants us to be without, uh, man, a number of other people. We have great volunteer teams that serve faithfully week in and week out. There's a number of small group leaders. I mean, there are, there's just a lot of people that make what we do possible. And, and some of them are not in the limelight. They're never on the stage. You might never meet them. You might not even be aware of what they do, but they are vital to the work of the ministry and the work of the church. So one of the things we're gonna do as we walk through this series this summer 
is try to highlight a, a, a particular ministry team that serves here at the Vista. So this morning, uh, the, the ministry team we want to kind of highlight is our host team, all right? Our host team. Uh, it's, it's such a big team, we, we really can't get pictures of every single person that serves on the host team, but these are, are people that are faithful week in and week out. They show up early. This involves our greeters, so people that just greet you as you walk in with a smile and say, welcome or good morning. Uh, we have ushers that maybe if it feels full, they can sometimes help you find a seat where you and your family can sit together. Um, this involves our cafe team. They, um, they have the spiritual gift of making coffee. Amen, right? Love, I mean, I mean, they make coffee uh, and they just, again, make sure that we've got fresh hot coffee out there to drink. That's part of our host team. It also involves our parking team, right? You see the, the people that wear the really bright yellow shirts. That's our parking team. And they, they greet you as you come into the lot and help you find a spot. And they're nice to everyone. Not everyone's nice to them, but they're nice to everyone, right? And so, incidentally, um, I wanted to, if you were here for the, the pre-service announcements, the parking team in particular is a team we could really use some extra help on, right? Um, you know, trying to get in and out sometimes, uh, especially in this service, the parking lot can be, well, a bit of a cluster, right? It can be a little bit crazy. And so, man, the host team, if you're looking for a place to serve, I would say this. Host team is a great, is a great opportunity for you to serve. You do not even have to be a member of our church to serve on the host team, right? Uh, we, we pretty much take everyone. It doesn't require a whole lot of training, um, there's a number of different places you can, you can serve, um, but our host team is, is, is man, they, these people are unbelievable. They show up every week. And so what I'd like to do, let's, can we just give a hand to our host team this morning? Very, very grateful for them. And so each week we're going to try to highlight a different, a different ministry team or a different group. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. And specifically throughout the summer, we're going to be uh, looking at friends, ministry partners, and associates of the Apostle Paul. So most of us are familiar with the Apostle Paul, right? Uh, he is, other than Jesus himself, probably the most prominent figure in the entire New Testament. He wrote about two-thirds of our New Testament. He, uh, a lot of the New Testament is about his work, his travels, letters to churches that he planted, he was responsible for taking the gospel that started out as like sort of a, a sect or an offshoot of Judaism, and he took it to the Gentiles, and he spread the gospel in places that it had never been before. So most of us are somewhat familiar, and we at least know that this guy was a pretty big deal in early Christianity, the Apostle Paul. But again, like I said, the Apostle Paul, he never traveled alone. He never did anything on his own. He always had friends and, and partners and teams of people around him that helped him do what God had called him to do. And often we sort of breeze by or overlook those, those people, but they are unbelievably valuable and important to the work of the ministry of Paul. And so specifically this morning, we're going to look at uh, the story of uh, this guy named Ananias, okay? His story is found in Acts chapter 9. Now, there's a few different Ananiases in your Bible. A few chapters earlier in chapter 5, there's a story of another Ananias who basically uh, sold a field and was supposed to give the money to the church and lied about it, and then God struck him down right there in the church. Now, that's a great message on tithing that's for another day, okay? We're not going to get to that. We're not talking about that one today, right? So, whew, you can relax, right? But we're talking about this other Ananias in Acts chapter 9 who was, um, man, he was just instrumental in Paul's ministry ever getting off the ground, Okay? 
His story is tied to the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who would become the Apostle Paul. So I think the conversion in Acts chapter 9 of Saul of Tarsus is the most dramatic conversion experience anywhere in the Bible. It really is um, just an unbelievable story. And so I'm going to read this for you um, just in the way of kind of letting you a glimpse kind of into where we start. Saul of Tarsus would have been seen a a little bit like a, a religious terrorist. I mean, his whole goal and role was to stop Christianity. He hated Christians. He hated Christianity, this new movement that was gaining traction. And he, uh, literally, his job was to persecute Christians. He was anti-Jesus, anti-church, anti-gospel, pretty much anti-all of it. In chapter 7, a few chapters earlier, we see that he is there uh, leading out in the stoning of a faithful man named Stephen. It says that witnesses, as they're, as they're stoning Stephen, literally killing him with rocks, the witnesses laid down their garment, their outer garments at the feet of a man named Saul. That's Saul of Tarsus. And, and so he is literally uh, dragging off Christians, murdering Christians, trying to stop the spread of Christianity. And so we pick up the story in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that, the, that if he found any belonging to the way, that's, that was Christianity, it was called the way early on, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. It says, um, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. It's a pretty dramatic conversion experience, isn't it? Pretty dramatic. I mean, literally, um, it's like Jesus is seeing Saul and he's like, that dude is on the wrong team, right? Like he's on the wrong team and I want him on my team. And so, look, no one, no one like shared the gospel with him. No one like, you know, walked, like showed a track to him. No one, no one walked him through the Roman's road, right? Like uh, he didn't hear a, a sermon and then walk down the aisle and, and, and give his life to Jesus, Literally, Jesus just blinds him, speaks to him audibly, and completely changes his heart and completely changes his life. It's an unbelievable story, and I love the story in so many, uh, for so many reasons. Like, this isn't really the big idea of the sermon today, but I think this story is a great reminder um, for all of us. Like, those people in your life that are, like, anti-Jesus, anti-church, closed off to Christianity, and you think, man, their heart is so callous and so hard. Uh, Saul's story just reminds us that no one really is beyond the grace of God. Like God can change anyone's heart. God can change anyone's life. And so I love, I love this story. A guy that was anti-church, anti-gospel, anti-Christian, God just supernaturally changes him. So he finds himself there in Damascus, and then we're introduced in verse 10 to our, our boy Ananias. Okay, here's what it says. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. 
And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he's seen the vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. The Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so Ananias departed and he entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight, and then he rose and was baptized. Taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. Man, what an unbelievable story, right? What an unbelievable story. Well, Ananias' role in the story is quite significant. And so what can we learn from this guy named Ananias, right? We're introduced to him in verse 10. And so just a a few things about him in verse 10, it says that that he was a disciple. So basically we learn that he was just, he was a follower of Jesus, right? He was a man who loved Jesus. He's there in Damascus where God had placed him for obviously a reason. Um, And then we learn that he's sort of someone that is listening for the Lord. He has his ear sort of attuned to God. Like, literally, God just sort of speaks to him, and he's like, yes, Lord, here I am, right? So in, in one verse, we learn that he's, man, he's, a, he's, a, he's a lover of Jesus, he's, he loves the Lord, and he's, he's apparently at a place where he's willing to, to listen to what the Lord, he's ready for the Lord to sort of speak to him, because he responds very, very quickly, okay? The only other place that Ananias' name is mentioned is um, a few chapters later in Acts 22, uh, the Apostle Paul is now telling his testimony. He's sharing his testimony of how he became a Christian. So he's he's telling them about the Damascus Road experience. And and, and he mentions Ananias in chapter 22, verse 12, and here's what he says. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. That's it. We get a few mentions in Acts chapter 9, And one verse in Acts 22, and that is literally the only time Ananias is mentioned anywhere in Scripture. But yet from a few verses, we learn that, man, he loved Jesus. He was listening for the Lord. It says in in, in 22 verse 12 that he was devout according to the law, which means that was the kind of the word of God back then was the law. And so we, we, we see a man that loved God's word. He read God's word. He studied God's word. He applied God's word to his life. He's a man that loved the word of God. And he, and he read it, studied it, and applied it to his life. Then we learn also that he um, was well spoken of by, by others. And I would remind you that to be well spoken of, to have a kind of reputation where you're well spoken of by others, that requires a little bit of time and consistency to gain that kind of reputation, right? He didn't just do one thing. I mean, it, like literally this shows a pattern or a lifestyle in Ananias. So follow me. He's devout, he loves Jesus, he's devout, he loves the word of God, he applies the word of God, and and that devoutness, he's not devout so that he can like say, hey, I know more theology than you do, I can quote more verses than you, look, look, I follow the law better than you do, 
His devoutness translates into love and good works towards other people that gains him the reputation of being well spoken of by others. So in in those two verses, what we learn essentially, really the first thing that I want you to know about Ananias is that Ananias' life was marked by consistent faithfulness. You might say consistent faithfulness in the small things. He simply loved Jesus, listened for the Lord. He was, loved the word of God and read it and studied it and applied it. He practiced uh, loving his neighbor and loving the people around him really, really well. I mean, there's nothing overly extravagant about that. It's just that he practiced a consistent faithfulness. Ananias was literally faithful where his feet were, as we like to say around here, right? God placed him in Damascus, and so he's going to be there in Damascus, and he's going to be faithful in Damascus. He was one of the leaders um, in, the, in the church there in Damascus. He was simply faithful where his feet were. I know sometimes some of us are sort of waiting for God to use us in some really big way. Man, we love the idea of being used um, in big, amazing, powerful ways by God. But one thing that strikes me about Ananias and countless other stories in scripture is that, you know, the big things that God may ask us to do, they usually start with faithfulness in the small things, right? The big things that God may ask us to do usually start by us being faithful in the little things or the small things or the regular things. That's the story of Ananias. God hasn't asked him to do anything big or extravagant. Austin preached this in the last series, like, We don't have to like search for some mysterious God's will. God's word already tells us what his will is. And it's usually us being faithful in the small things, being faithful in the regular things. All the big things God may ask us to do start with faithfulness in the small things. Ananias is marked by a consistent faithfulness. What happens next? I love this part of the story. God comes to Ananias and says, okay, I want you now to go to Saul, this guy named Saul. He's from Tarsus. And I want you to go to him because he's, he's praying. And Ananias has what I would call a God, are you sure moment. You ever have one of those? You ever have a God, are you sure moment? I bet you have. If not, you probably will, right? I remember my wife and I had a, had a moment like this when this church was sort of getting started um, so 16 years ago, um, I was uh, traveling and, and kind of preaching, teaching wherever, you know, anybody that, that needed someone to kind of come in and do that, student camps, a lot of camps and things like that. So basically, I was unemployed. That's what I'm trying to say. I was unemployed, and my wife was pregnant with our first child, and I remember we were kind of like, God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to be a part of? Like, I wasn't really sure about the future and where God wanted us to be, and um, we had some opportunities, some different opportunities in front of us, and some of them made more sense than others, right? So uh, there were some churches that were like asking if I would send maybe a resume and some of them were like, man, it would have been a good salary and benefits closer to family. We're about to have a baby. And so some of that made a lot of sense. But on the other hand, you have this group of like 12 to 15 people that are meeting in a home and praying and hoping to start a church. And, uh, my wife and I just prayed about it and we just, we did not feel a piece about moving or about going, uh, to, to, to do any of these other things. And so again, we had some people tell us you're crazy, but we were like, yeah, this, this group that may or may not work out trying to start a church, that's what we felt like God was saying. And so make no mistake, we had a, we had a, a God, are you sure kind of moment, right? We had no idea. I, I would just remind you 
Scripture is full of, of, of those kind of moments. God often works in ways that make no sense to us. And so Scripture, from Old Testament through the New, there are countless examples of these kind of moments. God, are you sure? I'll give you just a few of them, right? Like early on in the Bible, God comes to a man named Noah, and he tells him to build an ark. And Noah's probably like, what is an ark? And then he's like, it's a big wooden boat thing. And what's a boat? Like he didn't live on the coast. He didn't, he didn't know what that was. It hadn't rained. There. The idea of a flood was not heard of. And so God's like, I want you to build this big wooden structure. And oh, by the way, you're going to put two of every kind of animal in the structure. Every kind of animal on the planet. I'm sure Noah was like, God, are you sure? And then the rain starts to fall and it makes a lot more sense, right? A little bit later, you, you, we, we hear about a guy named Joshua. Joshua is taking his army, the Israelites, up against the most heavily fortified city in Canaan. Though the walls of Jericho were massive, they were huge. It was an impenetrable city. So if some of you know the story, but like Joshua, you know, you can imagine him getting his generals together and they're like, all right, what's the battle plan, right? Are we going to like, are we going to like, you know, maybe gather more people and try to storm the place? Are we, we need to build some ladders so we can like scale the walls. Uh, are we going to like build some kind of a battering ram where we can go and like just knock down the gate? Like what are we, what's the, what's the battle plan here? Joshua meets with God and God's like, you're going to march around the city like seven times and then strike up the band, right? The band's going to play. You're all going to shout and the walls are just going to fall down. I'm sure Joshua and his generals were like, God, are you, are you sure? It doesn't seem like a great battle plan to me. It happens as God designed it to happen, right? Probably the most popular story in all of the Old Testament. You got a giant named Goliath and a little bitty shepherd boy named David, right? You guys know the story. David kills the giant. Like, I know that King Saul and all of the Israelites were like, God, are you sure? <laughs> like, this, this doesn't seem, like, we gotta be able to find a better candidate than David. This is not gonna go well. And it goes really, really well, right? Later on, you have a, a guy named Jonah. Some of you know the story of Jonah and the big fish, Right? God comes to Jonah and he says, Jonah, I want you to go preach to the people of Nineveh so that they can all repent. And Jonah literally is like, those people are the worst. Like, I would literally rather them all just burn. Like, I don't, I don't want to go to those people. God, this is not a good plan. Are you sure? The people of Nineveh, have you heard about the people of Nineveh? They're terrible, terrible, pagan, awful, wretched people. He, he hates the plan so much that he literally gets on a boat and goes the other direction. You know the story, swallowed by a big fish, vomited out, and then Jonah goes and preaches the shortest sermon in all of history, by the way, and like the whole city repents. And then Jonah pouts like a little petulant child, right? Like, Jonah had this, God, are you, are you sure? I don't like the plan. These stories aren't just in the Old Testament, by the way. You get into the New Testament, and what do you find? An angel coming to an unwed teenage woman named Mary and going, yeah, I know you're a virgin, but you're going to have a baby. God, are you sure? I guarantee her husband was like, God, are you sure? <laughs> right? It's, it seems like an odd way for the savior of the world to enter the world. Like, yeah. Or how about the disciples? The disciples give up everything. They give up their careers. They give up everything to follow Jesus. They spend years of their life with Jesus because they believe he's the king, he's the Messiah. He talks about establishing a kingdom He's going to help us overcome Rome and 
and have a kingdom of our own, and, and then it ends with what? Him hanging on a Roman cross, dying? I guarantee you, between the cross and the resurrection, every single one of the disciples was like, God, are you sure? This doesn't seem like a great plan. It seems like your plan has kind of failed, right? All through the Bible, there's these moments where God does things that are, that are different than we think. And I've said this before, but I believe God does it that way because when God does it his way, God gets the glory, God gets the praise, God gets the credit rather than us, right? God gets the, the, the praise, the credit, the glory. God comes to Ananias, and make no mistake, Ananias was a target of Saul. Literally, we just read in Saul's conversion, he's on his way to Damascus with letters from the high priest to find anyone of the way to bind them and drag them off to prison. Ananias would have been someone hiding from Saul. He would have been helping other Christians in the city hide from Saul. And now God shows up and goes, yeah, I know the guy's coming to hunt you down. I'd actually like you to go to him. And by the way, he's praying. I'm sure Ananias is like, right, right. God, I've heard about this guy. And I don't want you to miss the fact that Ananias has this little bit of hesitation, this little bit of sort of questioning, this God, are you sure moment. And God doesn't like smite him. God doesn't get angry with Ananias. God's not like, how dare you question me? Sometimes we, we, we kind of think that, don't we? No, Jesus is like, look, trust me, go. I'm, I'm working on his, like he's like literally, I, I will show him what he's gonna have to do for me. Church, listen, sometimes God's at work in people's hearts and lives in ways that we have no idea what he's doing. And so from our limited view, it sounds like God's asking us to do something absolutely crazy, but often God's at work and God's moving over here and, and he just wants us to be faithful. He wants us just to practice some consistent faithfulness. And that's what he tells Ananias. I want you to go to Saul. I want you to go to Saul. And then what happens next is, is man, verse 17. So Ananias departed. That's it. He just, God says, I want you to go. And Ananias says, well, all right, here we go. The second big idea that I think we want to learn from Ananias' life is that Ananias' life is marked by courageous obedience. He practiced consistent faithfulness in the small things, and he practiced courageous obedience. Courageous obedience. And when I think about courage, um, and I think about being courageously obedient, again, I would remind you that it's not like Ananias' fear just went away. Ananias' fear didn't just disappear. He's still very much nervous, very much scared, if you will, I saw this quote this week that courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than your fear. Say that again. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than the fear. So Ananias is still has, he still has some fear, but, but his being obedient to God is more important to him than his fear. The gospel was more important to Ananias than his fear. You see, often we think that like we need, to, we need to overcome our fear so that we can be obedient. Some of us are kind of waiting to overcome our fear so that we can be obedient. And so we're like, God, I'll be obedient. I just need you to help me overcome my fear first. And we, we want to attack the fear. And, and one thing that I've learned, I would just kind of submit to you that we often overcome our spiritual fears by being obedient, right? 
We don't need to overcome our fear and then we can be obedient. We often overcome our spiritual fears by being obedient. We often say, God, help me overcome my fears and, and then I'll be obedient. And God's like, why don't, why don't you just be obedient and then I'll help you overcome your fear? And that's what happens with Ananias, right? I can guarantee you he was still nervous. Man, walking up to that, walking down the, the street. And, oh, okay, Saul's in there. Don't know what's gonna happen here. I've heard bad things about this guy, Whew, right? But he's obedient. He's obedient. That's how we overcome our spiritual fears is, is by being obedient. And I love the fact that because of Ananias' consistent faithfulness and his courageous obedience, and he was used by God in a powerful way. He was used by God in a powerful way. Think about this. Ananias gets to, he gets to baptize the guy that would become the Apostle Paul. Ananias got to kind of minister to and encourage and just strengthen the Apostle Paul. He got to sort of pastor the pastor. That would be, that would be the Apostle Paul. Like, how awesome is that, right? I was thinking about that this week. Like, one of the quotes we use around here a lot during baby dedication time is um, the quote that says, your, your greatest contribution to the world may not be something that you do, but someone that you raise. And we use that to talk about just the, the weightiness of being a parent, the responsibility of being a parent. And so then your greatest contribution to the world may not be some big endeavor. It may be someone that you, that you raise. And I was thinking about that quote this week and I thought about uh, how that's true in the kingdom of God. Like your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be some ministry you start or some ministry you lead, but it may be simply somebody that you minister to. It may be somebody you pray for, somebody you encourage, somebody you help along their spiritual journey, right? I was thinking about the really big names of our faith, like people throughout history that you're like, oh man, they were a giant in Christianity. Someone like Billy Graham, like Billy Graham preached these crusades where thousands and thousands and thousands of people would give their lives to Jesus. You, you know, somebody, somebody ministered to Billy Graham. Somebody baptized Billy Graham. Somebody taught Billy Graham Sunday school, right? Think about quotes of really smart people we throw up here on the screen sometimes, like Charles Spurgeon, these amazing preachers. You know what? Somebody, somebody poured into those guys, and we don't know their names, but they were just as important to the work of the gospel and the ministry. That's Ananias' story. Man, we know about Paul, kind of a big deal, right? But Paul's ministry doesn't get off the ground without Ananias' consistent faithfulness and courageous obedience. And so, what does this look like for me and you? What does this mean for me and you, right? The question I have for you this morning before we close is simply this. What steps of consistent faithfulness and courageous obedience is God asking you to take? What steps of consistent faithfulness and courageous obedience is God asking you to take? Maybe for some of you, um, you know, you've been thinking about kind of getting plugged in and connected into community. You've, you've thought of a lot of reasons or excuses why small group or Bible study, you're like, that's awkward, man, showing up to someone's home and just, I don't know those people, they don't know me, like, what are they gonna think? Like, maybe you have a ton of reasons and excuses. Can I just challenge you maybe this week to practice some courageous obedience and, and step into community? Or maybe it's serving. You thought of a lot of reasons why you can't serve. I'm gone a lot. I just, I don't know. I don't know if I know what to do. I, you know, and I just, maybe, maybe the step for you of consistent faithfulness and courageous obedience is to, is to step into some, some area of service. 
Maybe it's a little, little weightier than that. Like maybe there's a conversation that you need to have with someone. Maybe a, a conflict that you need to resolve. Maybe there's someone in your, in your world or in your sphere of influence that doesn't know Jesus. And you've thought about, man, I, I'd like to share with them, but it just makes me nervous. And so can I just challenge you to take a step of courageous obedience this week? Make that phone call, set up that coffee. Because again, you never know what God's doing over here while he's trying to tell you to be faithful and obedient over here. Ananias was used by God in a powerful way because of his consistent faithfulness and courageous obedience. And church, I I believe that if we will live out those two things, that there's really um, no limit to what God can and will do through us as well. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful today for um, your church. God, this is, this is your church. It is not mine. It is not the elders' church. It is yours. And God, I, I'm grateful for the, the many, many, many people that, um, that help us be who you've called us to be. People that are not in the limelight. People that, um, that, that are very much behind the scenes. That are just faithful. They're just consistently faithful where you've called them. Using their gifts and their abilities. And so, God, we are just grateful for them today. Lord, I'm thankful for your servant, Ananias, a name that we often sort of just read right past. But God, we're grateful that he was consistently faithful. God, we're we're grateful that he was um, just obedient, God, courageously obedient to you. I pray we could learn from him. I pray you would help us to be those things as well. So God, we ask for strength. We ask for courage. We ask for faithfulness and obedience so that we could continue to be the people you want us to be. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.